see you this morning. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. Return to our study of the book of Luke this morning. In some ways, our situation this morning is not unlike the characters in our text. We're waiting. Christ was crucified, but he arose. For 40 days, he walked and talked with his disciples. But the day came when he returned to heaven, leaving his disciples with the promise, I will be back. The characters in our study were waiting for Christ's first coming, and we await his second. The events recorded in the second half of the book of uh, chapter 2 of Luke are important. They have to be important because they are the only events from the infancy of Jesus that Luke chooses to highlight. Luke, no doubt, had many incidents that he could have recorded for history, but he chose the presentation of Jesus and the proclamations of Simeon and Anna. Here are two godly saints who appear in the temple and proclaim for the world that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah, Savior of the world. Their goals and priorities And their persistent lives of faithfulness are examples for the ages. To set the stage this morning, we need to understand that there are three ceremonies here that are condensed into just a few verses. First, there is the ceremony of circumcision. It was at this time in Jewish life that the child is officially given his name. And verse 21 says, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Both Mary and Joseph had been told separately by an angel to name the child Jesus. Matthew records that the angel said to Joseph, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Luke, likewise, records Gabriel's announcement to Mary, saying, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. It means Jehovah saves. The name was to be Jesus because his mission was to save his people from their sins. The second ceremony is the redemption of the firstborn. When a Jewish family redeemed their firstborn, they were acknowledging that this child belonged to God. Much as we do in our church when we dedicate a baby to the Lord. This incident reminds us of the high value God places on human life and the special attention he gives to these moments of consecration. God has given children to parents as a sacred trust 
to name them, to shape them, to send them out on their own. What a privilege parenthood is in sharing the life that God has created. The third ceremony was the purification of Mary. We read about it beginning in verse 22. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Charles Wendell points out that being considered ritually unclean does not carry the negative connotations in that day that it does to 21st century Westerners. By declaring a new mother ritually unclean for several weeks after the child's birth, in so doing, God protected women and their newborns from potential disease due to contact with the general population. It would seem that Joseph and Mary combined the presentation or dedication of Jesus and the purification of Mary into one visit in the temple. Thus, Jesus would have been approximately six weeks old at the time of his presentation. It is probable that the first confirmation of the identity of this child that would be given to Simeon was that he was told that his name was Jesus. The fact that Mary needed cleansing is indicative of the fact that she is like everyone else. She was not sinless. As Mary paid the price for her purification, little did she realize that the baby boy in her arms would one day pay the ultimate price for the ultimate sacrifice that she and all who would receive it would receive the ultimate cleansing. In the redemption ceremony, the father brought the child to the priest. The mother was not obligated to attend, but she often did. The priest held the child while the father gave the priest five silver shekels in the place of his son. The priest then returned the child to his father. The humble sacrifice that we read about in this text would suggest to us that they were too poor to bring a lamb. But he was, in fact, the lamb himself. Now, according to verse 25... The young couple met a, name, a man named Simeon. And, the, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. The name Simeon means hear and obey. We're told very little about this man other than his name, Simeon. He's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture. We do not know anything about his family, whether he was married or had any children. We're not told his age, although we assume he is elderly because the context implies that he's been waiting for a very long time and given his readiness to die. We're told nothing about his occupation, although some assume 
because of his presence in the temple that he was a priest. The only things that we are told are the things that matter most to God. The things which pertain to his character and his relationship with God. We're told that he was just and devout. Just shows that he, that he behaved well toward other people. And devout signifies that he was careful about his religious duties. We're also told that he was a man of faith and hope. There is an unfortunate human tendency to allow age to make us paranoid and pessimistic, but not Simeon. He rests his hope on the promises of God. The wisdom and faith of this man is seen that he was looking for the hope of the nation, the consummation of God's promises, the consolation of Israel. Simeon lived his life as if this could be the day that God will complete his promise. And in so doing, he provides us a great example of how we should be living as we await the second coming of Christ. He was also a man who the Holy Spirit was upon, or he was filled by the Holy Spirit. Rarely before the day of the coming of the Holy Spirit of Pentecost are individuals said to be continually endowed by the Holy Spirit. The fact that the Holy Spirit was continually upon Simeon is an indication of his devout character. Now note with me four characteristics of the individuals of this story. First, he came to the right place to find Jesus. The scripture says that the Holy Spirit was upon him and that he was led by the Holy Spirit to be in the temple on this particular day. Verse 26 says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple. Simeon's devotion to the temple is a reminder to us as Christians of the importance of faithfulness to God's house. The church exists as a place of worship, a worship center. We come here to worship God, to sing praises and to lift up his name. We come to worship. The church is also a nurturing center. It is why the writer of Hebrews reminds us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. The church is also a redemptive center, a place where we can learn how to be forgiven and brought into the family of God and how to forgive others. Secondly, he personally receives Christ. Recognizing Jesus to be the Messiah, this elderly man took the child into his arms and he blessed God. He said in verse 27, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed the Lord. How did he know that this child was the child? How many times over the years do you think that he saw a couple bring in an infant and he prayed and said, God, is this the one? Or he saw a young man walk into the temple and he says, God, is this the one? But on this particular day, the Holy Spirit says to him, this is the one. 
He is the one. The man who knew that God held him in the palm of his hand now holds God in his arms. That's an awesome thought. The third thing is that he experienced true peace with God. With the baby in his arms, secure in God's promises, Simeon experienced a profound sense of peace with God. Verse 29, Simeon says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Having seen Jesus and knowing that he is the one, Simeon now is at peace. Everything else in his life pales in comparison. He has met Jesus and the details of the rest of his life are not relevant. Paul gives a similar testimony in Philippians chapter 3 where he says that for him everything that he has done in his life as an accomplished, successful Pharisee is like garbage when compared with knowing Jesus and serving him. Literally, Simeon now says, now Lord, dismiss or release your servant in peace according to your word. The verb that is used here is a military term. It means to release or dismiss one from an assignment or duty. He's saying, now my life is complete. I am fulfilled. Now I'm ready to die. The reason for Simeon's peaceful state is that he has seen the salvation of the Lord. Salvation is not just something that Jesus did. It is also who he was. He himself was and is the embodiment of salvation. The writer of 1 John describes it this way. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The truth is that God's people do not have to fear death because it only frees us from the burdens of this life and it leads us to the blessings of the next life. It is worthy of note that although Simeon is a devout Jew, he does not regard the birth of the Messiah as a blessing for the Jews alone. For he said in verse 32, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon declares that this child will be a glory for Israel, but it will be also, he will also be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Everyone expected a Messiah who would rescue Israel from its oppressors. But the idea that he would be a light to the Gentiles was startling. The 
prophet Isaiah says in the Old Testament in Isaiah 42, 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open their blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory, I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have now come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. You can imagine the impact the words of Simeon must have had on Joseph and Mary. Luke simply summarizes in verse 33 with the words, And Joseph and his mother, Jesus' mother, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. That Greek word for marvel is also translated amaze or wonder. It is the same word that is later used to describe the disciples' reaction when Jesus calmed the sea in Luke chapter 8. And when he appeared after the resurrection and said, It is I, myself, touch me and see. From the beginning all the way to the end of his life, Jesus continued to spark wonder and amazement in the hearts of people. The text continues in verse 34. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, in Israel, and for a sign which was spoken against, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon says that the coming of Christ will reveal the hearts of men and divide men. Jesus will either be a blessing or a curse to individuals depending on whether they accept him or reject him. The apostle Peter later wrote, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those of you who do not believe, who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Simeon revealed that there will be people on both sides. Christ divides people into two camps. There are those who are his followers and his servants, and there are those who reject him. It is one or the other. There really is no third option. There are always those who try to soften the demands of Christ to make Jesus more acceptable to people. It makes me think of the story in the Old Testament when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And while he was on the mountain, Moses' brother Aaron was down with the people in the valley. By the time that Moses returned from receiving the law, 
the people were engaged in worship of a golden calf. They deserted the true and living God to worship a cow that they'd fashioned with their own hands. When Moses confronted Aaron, Aaron said, I just gave them what they wanted. That sound very familiar today? As a result, thousands died in judgment. The same is true today. When we offer people what they want to hear instead of what is true, we are leading people to their spiritual destruction. In saying that the child is destined for the fall and rising of many, he reveals the necessary experience of all who come to Christ. It is necessary that we bow before him in humility before we can rise to new life in Christ. He tells Mary that Jesus will be a sign that is opposed and that there will be a sword that will pierce through your soul. The verb used means sword, a sword that kept on piercing her soul. From our vantage point, looking backwards, we see her agonizing moment with stark clarity. One day she will stand below a blood-stained cross, watching with horror as the life spills out of her precious son. It's an awful thing for any parent to have to bury a child. But how much more difficult must it have been to know that your child is the son of God and that he has come to save the very people who executed him as a common criminal. The fourth and last thing that I want you to see this morning is that they both lived expectantly. We're now introduced to a second person in our story whose name is Anna. Anna's name means grace. Verse 36 introduces Anna. Now, therefore, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, who was of great age and who had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but lived with God with fastings and prayers night and day. Some of the modern translations say that she was 84 years of age. That's one possible interpretation of the words. But it can also mean that she was a widow for 84 years. So 84 years plus seven years of marriage plus her age at the time of her marriage, which would have probably been 15 or 16 in those days, she could be 103 to 105 years of age. Anna has endured the heart-piercing experience of losing her husband. And she had endured it by running to God and clinging to him with a life of service and devotion. As a widow, she remained single and she lived out her life in the temple, occupied with prayer and fasting. Simeon had been divinely guided to the temple on that day. Anna was always there. When she came upon the scene of Simeon, 
who had just identified Jesus as the Messiah, verse 38 says, And coming in at that instance, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She began at once to broadcast the good news to all who would listen, to all who were there, that the Messiah had been warned. I have to wonder about the reaction of the temple officials. As they are hurrying about their business of doing what they thought was God's business, what did they think about Simeon and Anna? Did they consider Simeon and Anna just old eccentrics whose devotion was empty and really just a nuisance? In so doing, they refused to see that in this little gathering, perhaps in a corner of the temple, was the most momentous turning point in history. What can we learn from Simeon and Anna? Both Simeon and Anna lived with expectancy in an age when few others truly believed in Christ, truly believed that he was coming. Christians also wait. We wait, hopefully expectantly, for the second coming of the Messiah. The Apostle Paul says in Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. His coming should be the preoccupation of our lives. Secondly, I want you to know it is only by receiving Christ personally that you can have peace to die. Simeon knew that his life was complete. In our day, as we walk through our lives, the only way that we can have the peace that's necessary for us to die well is to know that we've made our peace with Christ. And third, it is our unchanging task to tell everyone that we can about the Redeemer. As we close this morning, let me just ask a few questions. How, how eager are you to face Jesus face to face? How do you feel about the inevitability of your own death? Does life for you hold a single dominating purpose, that of serving God? Or are there other things that take your attention? Let's pray. We're grateful for the example, Lord, of Simeon and Anna. They too lived in an age that was not marked by expectancy we too live in an age that is not marked by expectancy many ridicule those who would believe that Jesus is coming again but your word says that he's coming and we believe based on your word that he is coming father there's one in this place this morning that's never made their peace with you I pray they'd recognize that they could do so at this time. That because Jesus came, 
and lived a life free of sin in this world. That he could take our place. He could and did become our substitute. He paid the penalty for our sin. But we must accept that payment in order for it to be applied to our lives. And so, Lord, if there's one here this morning that has never taken the time or the opportunity to just stop and realize that they're sinners and they can't save themselves, but that you've done everything necessary for them to be saved, they just need to accept what you've done. We pray for that one here that needs to make that decision today. We pray for those who are saved. They know they have an experience with you in the past, but they're just a little bit defeated this morning. Uh, They've been beat up by the world, by the circumstances of this life, and they're just discouraged. Father, I pray that you would uh, just wrap your arms around them this morning and help them to feel your presence and the fact that you love them and that you're concerned about them and care about everything that transpires in their life. Lord, would you bless them today with a sense of your presence. Father, we pray that we might truly be occupied with sharing with others the good news that Jesus has come and that Jesus has paid the penalty for their sin. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to have a hymn of invitation. Brother James is going to be here. If you're here this morning and...